All Things Work is sponsored by Everfi. Revolutionize your approach to harassment prevention training with Everfi. Learn more at everfi.com slash allthingswork. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash allthingswork. Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, head of editorial operations here at SHRM. Thank you for joining us. All Things Work is an audio adventure during which we talk with thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. Now we continue to give you coverage on how the world of work is responding to the pandemic. And in today's episode, we're examining the pandemic's impact on how employees are interacting with one another, both in the physical environment and as remote employees, especially as teams. And we're gonna talk about what employers can do to help create a sense of connection especially among those remote employees who don't have the opportunity to see each other like they used to. You know, there's just this massive shift of where work is happening, and it's transformed the daily work experience for a lot of employees, replacing those in-person interactions with virtual ones that, you know, don't include the physical cues that we typically rely on to engage in meaningful interaction with each other. The obvious next best thing of using video chat, you know, it hasn't been a perfect solution. There are many workers saying that they're getting worn down by too much time in front of a webcam and, and Zoom fatigue is now part of our vocabulary. So the big question is how employers can create work experiences where everyone has the same sense of shared connection that accompanies work. And, and what can employers do to make sure that they have teams who are functioning together as one? So joining me to discuss this question, along with thoughts on effective team building during a pandemic is Elizabeth Bill a former colleague of mine and a good friend. Elizabeth is a Senior Vice President of Workplace Culture at EverFi, a leading provider of workplace training. In this role, she serves as EverFi's subject matter expert on preventing harassment and discrimination and creating positive, thriving workplace cultures. Prior to joining EverFi, Elizabeth served as SHRM's General Counsel and Chief Ethics Officer. She also served as a legal and policy advisor at the EEOC, as well as an employment law attorney. So with that, Elizabeth, welcome to All Things Work. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. This is, it's great to talk with you. So let's just start right in the kind of the crux of the issue. So, you know, building effective, cohesive teams, you know, it requires a culture of trust as well as inclusion as a foundation and, and as the result of, you know, very deliberate, multifaceted efforts. So how do companies achieve that during a pandemic? Well, it can be much more difficult than before, simply because we don't have that physical proximity that we used to have, I think. And it's really caused organizations to have to rethink how we engage, how we connect, and how we really build sort of a, a business continuity plan for our culture, if you will. And I think that causes us to have to rethink, you know, how are we engaging with each other on a day-to-day -day basis? How are we structuring our meetings and what kind of inclusion techniques are we relying upon? You know, one of the things that I think is a real driver of culture and connection tend to be those in-person interactions, traditionally those hallway conversations or informal hangouts with our team, if you will, in the break room or, or things like that. And the loss of that is really significant, I think, for our team. So um, because that those, those interactions tended to be the, what I've heard said, the interpersonal glue that holds us together. So we really need to find ways to not replace on a one-to-one -one basis, but find other outlets for connection 
and to support our employees, not only getting their work done, but also their well-being. Yeah. I mean, that really hits it on the head. The the chats before the meeting, after the meeting, in the hallway, not to mention, you know, the birthday party celebrations with cake and, you know, all all the typical office things. So when those go away and everyone is remote, what's the impact? I mean, does it have a negative impact that employers need to be worried about? I think it very much can have a negative impact, partly because I think those interactions, those spontaneous uh, interactions or informal, almost non-work-related interactions, really create both the greatest sense of connection with our colleagues, I think, you know, talking about our weekend plans, our families, or how we're doing it also fosters employee well-being, I think, to, to have those interpersonal casual connections. So we need to find some creative strategies to solve for that. And one strategy that I tend to like is that for a manager to set aside a few minutes, for example, at the end of a team meeting, for example, to give team members the opportunity to just either hang out or to ask any questions of each other or of the manager about any topic. It doesn't have to be related to the meeting. So to kind of replace that opportunity, those quick hallway questions that you might have about a different project or those quick check-ins. Another strategy that I've seen work really well that both creates connection and supports employee well-being is to do a red-yellow-green light exercise. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but at the start of a call or a meeting, the manager would ask everyone to just go around if they feel comfortable and indicate how they're doing. So green means I'm energized, I'm ready to go, feeling really engaged. Red means not so good, tired, I'm I'm stressed or distracted, and yellow would be something in between. So this quick check-in not only serves as sort of a bonding mechanism for everyone in the meeting or on your team, but can also be a great tool for helping you understand the frame of mind of everyone going into the meeting. And you can actually, therefore, maybe pivot how you present something or, or maybe even save a topic for another time to make sure it will be best received. I would say, if I may, one hidden risk of losing these informal check-ins, the hallway conversations, is that they often serve as an important moment in addressing bias or microaggressions or harassment that someone may have just witnessed in a meeting, for example. You know, so let's say someone on a Zoom call um, made an inappropriate comment about the photo on a, the background of an employee's on their wall, for example. Uh, one key bystander intervention behavior is to, to check in with the person after that meeting, typically, to see if they're okay, to say, I noticed this and, and that concerned me. Or sometimes as you're walking away from a meeting in a physical environment, you might say to a colleague, did you see that? That seemed inappropriate and that concerned me. And we don't have the meeting after the meeting anymore, that, that natural time. So this really, I think, drives home the need for training our employees on what they should do in the moment if they hear an inappropriate comment, those bystander intervention behaviors, and providing them with a range of techniques so that they can speak up or give them the confidence to report something afterward. Yeah. Oh, boy. Those are some great points. All right. So let's dive into each one a little bit, if you don't mind. Sure. So the first one, the the red, yellow, green, I mean, I'm a little bit fearful that there are folks who, you know, they may be having a red day, but boy, they're, they're not willing to admit they're having a red day. You know, it might make them appear weak or, you know, they, they don't want to get concerned because they're maybe a little introverted and feel like, oh, people are going to reach out to me. I mean, how do you overcome that kind of feeling? And and I'll just add that, you know, we've created a, a lot of content on Sherm.org about remote work. We have a remote work uh, center with all sorts of information. And Initially, during the pandemic, we spent a lot of time writing about virtual happy hours at the end of the day to get people together. But 
I think those have, have gone the way of all things. So, so how do you get people to be open and honest in a meeting and, and say, I'm having a red day? Oh, that's a great question. One, I would emphasize that it should be optional for people to disclose how they're feeling. Some people may, may not be in a position to, to say that right away. But I think what your question gets to is the importance of creating a safe environment for employees to share how they're feeling, even if that even if that is that they're struggling. And that is something that is very much in the purview of managers to lead. So managers and leaders really need to set the tone and lead by example to create a psychologically safe environment so that employees do feel like they can speak up and not just about how they're feeling, but speaking about up about any concerns they may have about the, the project they're working on or even behavior that they may see in the workplace, ethical or unethical. I, I am reminded of a story. It was actually shared at a Sherm annual conference several years ago by Ford's CEO, Alan Mulally. And he told a story about how in his executive team meetings, he was noticing that the goals were all coded green in terms of being on track for completion. And he knew that the company was struggling and that couldn't possibly be the case, but he feared that the team was afraid to speak up and really be candid about what they were struggling with. So what he did is he reached out to one of the executives ahead of time and said, I'd really like to know the, the, the full scope here. And I'd like you to share that with your colleagues and I'm going to support you in doing so. And so at the next meeting, he actually had that executive sit next to him and asked how his goals were doing. And he said that they were red. And then he said, great, thank you so much for sharing that. What can we all do to help achieve success in this particular goal. And that really transformed the dynamic of the team to be one where they understood that it was safe to share bad news, that it was safe to say I'm struggling and the like. That's a great story. You know, it's funny, it actually reminds me of a story from one of the HR Storyteller videos that we published on the site with the complete opposite of someone who has just been named the VP of HR, was going into her first executive meeting and had done this thorough analysis of a project that the company was working on. And as they went around the table and everyone was giving their glowing reports about how wonderful things were going, she said, well, things are very bad with the project. You know, Bill isn't holding up his end and Sally isn't holding up her end and we really need to do something about it. And of course, the entire team exploded at her and, you know, the CEO wasn't happy. And her lesson was you need to reach out individually to each of the people and get them on board and get understanding before you bring it into the meeting, which kind of goes to what's happening now with remote communication. I mean, how do people go beyond the video camera to create connection with colleagues, to create connection with, with people who are reporting to them? Well, I think what you just said is, is exactly right, is that we need to be much more intentional about creating those connections and often doing that in a one-on-one -on -one situation. So for example, managers setting aside time with their employees to check in on them, to see how they're doing, both in terms of their goals, but also in terms of uh, their mental well-being. We know, for example, that this 2020 has been an incredibly stressful year for all of us. And uh, having a, a manager reach out and ask and listen and offer support for whatever they may, may need, whether it's personally or personal support in terms of PTO or, or additional breaks, or help with workload or achieving goals can really go a long way in supporting employees during this time. Help your employees prioritize what's on their plate so they can achieve those goals. Help them find 
solutions or remove barriers to getting their work done. All of these things can really go a long way to, to help the employees feel that their manager supports them and that they have the tools for success going forward. Yeah, no, that, that's great advice. So a question we get a lot, and we've gotten a lot more recently as workforces have come back into physical workspaces, is from managers who are saying, you know, I'm managing half my team in person and half my team remotely, and I don't feel like it's equal. I don't feel like I'm being fair to everyone. What can they do? Is there a way to kind of equalize things among the two teams? That is a really tough situation. And I think this is one that we're going to see continuing for, for many months, if not years to come, this having hybrid teams, if you will, either some teams in permanently and others out or maybe rotating in and out depending on the day. For managers, they really need to be very intentional in their interactions as well as how they're sharing information and to make sure that out of sight is really not out of mind. Um, Because as you noted, hybrid environments can really lead to some inequity issues in terms of access to information, for example. You know, we talked about the power of those hallway conversations just a moment ago. You know, sharing that critical piece of information with the person that you happen to see in the office and not with others can happen just out of convenience, but it can have really detrimental effects on on the person who's not in the office that day. So managers need to, to think about who needs to know this piece of information or get this update. Make a note of it to share it uh, with those people in your next one-on-ones or next team meeting. And then, of course, be sure to follow through. I would caution that another pitfall of the hybrid environment is that, particularly if you have a cohort of people who are in the office on a regular basis and a group that are not, this can really lead, I think, to unconscious biases and our perceptions about productivity and dedication to either the company or their work. And, and we really need to not equate proximity or physical presence at work with productivity and commitment. Um, we need to focus on outputs, objective contributions, things like that. Um, and this, I think, is really important, particularly because we know that certain individuals and maybe certain certain demographic groups may need to be working remotely more than others. For example, people with disabilities during the COVID pandemic, older employees or, or caregivers. So those are some strategies to, to try and level the playing field. One other I would note that I've seen work really well is that to level that playing field again for meetings, don't have the office employees sit in a conference room for a, a call and then have the remote employees obviously calling in via Zoom or some other thing. Have everyone call in from their desks to, again, level that playing field. We know that if you're on the phone while others are in a room, sometimes there's side conversations. Sometimes there's even a joke being told that that can create sort of a a fun dynamic. And and you really feel left out if you're the person on the phone or on the Zoom while others are in a meeting. So we want to make sure everyone's getting the same information uh, and also having the opportunity to get in on those connection opportunities as well. Yeah, boy, that's that's so important. And, and you know, talking about inclusiveness, it means many things to many people. Um, you know, we've gone through a year where inclusion has, has become a real focal point and companies are making a real effort. Any thoughts on, on what companies can do after all of the initial stuff has been done? I mean, we've seen programs, we've seen training, we've seen, you know, open dialogue, but now kind of into a, a phase two, how does that get addressed in a period where many people are still remote? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? And I think one of the positives that I've seen come out of this year is that uh, because of the spotlight that's been shown upon systemic issues of inequity and bias, there is that increased focus on wanting to make sure we're taking action to address inclusion uh, in the workplace in a really meaningful way. You mentioned training and programming. That, of course, is an important place to start training on concepts like unconscious bias or how to be an ally so that people are in your workplace are actively supporting the effort to prevent incidents of bias or, or harassment uh, based on various characteristics, for example, and, and really teaching people how to act in a positive way to support a collaborative team environment. Another technique that I think can be used, and, and all of these go towards just sort of making this a part of the routine and actionable techniques that employees will deploy day after day, as opposed to sort of singular point in time programs. So one, one thing that I've seen that works really well for fostering inclusions is for managers and then employees should follow suit to proactively ask for and then amplify others' voices in a meeting or in a conversation. You know, research has shown that certain identity groups, uh, in particular women, and people of color are often not given the same airtime uh, as others in a meeting. They're interrupted at higher rates and, and they may not be given as much airtime due to unconscious biases, for example. So what we need to do is to really start to model and practice lifting up others' voices and, and making sure we're not interrupting, for example. So saying, you know, Jada had a great idea earlier, or I don't think Diego was finished with his thought. Those simple actions really go a long way in demonstrating allyship and ensuring in inclusion on an everyday basis. You mentioned virtual happy hours earlier, and I just have to comment about that. Um, you're right, that was a, a very popular technique of, of finding some connection, but we do need to make sure that the, those even social opportunities are, are inclusive as well. You know, a number of employees don't consume alcohol, for example, and they may not feel included if that's the activity du jour. So you know, we want to make sure that we're having a range of options that people can participate in regardless of their health needs or their religious beliefs or even their caregiving responsibilities in terms of time of day of the activity, for example. Fantastic guidance, Elizabeth. Really appreciate it. We're, we're about out of time, but I just want to ask about one other thing, which is productivity seems to be far higher. And we've already seen some research coming back that employee productivity with the ability to work at home is, is even better than it's ever been. Even with folks who have children at home who are working at nights and on weekends and, and they're getting their jobs done, which of course brings a far higher risk of burnout. Do you have any guidance on what employers should be doing to try and minimize burnout among this very productive group? I'm so glad you asked that question because I think we are seeing indicators that employees are really starting to burn out. And in fact, that it's starting to le lead to some departing the workforce um, because it, it's just become too much. There are many strategies that we can use, and I, I bucket them into two buckets. One is things that managers in particular can do on a uh, one-to-many um, messaging, for example, to an entire group, and others on a one-to-one -one basis. So starting with the, the one-to-many, one is to articulate as a leader that you're acknowledging the challenges of working during this time and how hard they are. Just stating that uh, before a group, I think, creates the space for everyone to say, it's okay to feel this way. 
and we're all struggling. Furthermore, I would say the leader should make it personal and, and lead by saying, I'm having a hard time. Or there are days when I, I'm struggling to, to turn on my computer in the mornings or uh, get motivated on a particular day. I think there's a real tendency for leaders to think that they need to be stoic and not show any weakness, for example, by admitting that they're having a hard time. But increasingly, we're finding that that, that kind of stoicism can actually not only harm your team, but it can actually harm yourself as a leader. Then in terms of the one-on-one strategies, if you see an employee who you think is uh, experiencing burnout, maybe you're seeing they've become detached or isolated, they're becoming more frustrated, maybe they're, they're late to work or having increased absences, you do want to proactively check in on that employee and see how they're doing and ask how you can support them either in terms of, you know, would, would flexible hours be more helpful because they have something they're navigating at home, PTO, or, or what can you do to, to help support them in their workload at work? A great technique that I've, I've learned to use for this type of conversation is called the VAR method, which stands for validate, appreciate, and refer. So when someone tells you and opens up to you that they're having a hard time, you want to validate by saying, oh, wow, that sounds really difficult. You appreciate the fact that they've, they've said that by saying something like, I'm here to help or thank you for sharing that with me. And then refer them on to other resources. So whether it's their EAP or say, you know, would it be helpful for us to work together on a, a plan to help you with your workload? That combination of or that flow of that conversation can really go a long way to helping the employee feel supported and help them on a path away from burning out. Well, Elizabeth, uh, sadly, we're out of time, but it has been a genuine pleasure uh, catching up with you and chatting about team building during the pandemic. Thank you so much for joining me on All Things Work. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it, too. That's great. Well, before we get out of here, I just want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Also, be sure to check out SHRM on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and you can find all of our episodes as well as other SHRM podcasts on our website at SHRM.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on All Things Work. All Things Work is sponsored by Everfi. Enough is enough. All of us have heard the demand for change. It's time to answer the call. Everfi offers proactive workplace training that teaches employees what to do instead of what not to do. EverFi learners can confidently take action when they see behavior that is not aligned with their company values. Revolutionize your approach to harassment prevention training with EverFi. Learn more at everfi.com slash allthingswork. That's E-V-E-R-F-I dot com slash allthingswork.